Hi everyone, this is George and Charlie off the bridle. Episode 5 from Series 2 features none other than record-breaking trainer Mark Johnston as our special guest. We'll also look forward to Glorious Goodwill. I'm Tony Rushmer and with me are racehorse trainers George Scott and Charlie Fellows. We're a new market-based racing podcast supported by Fitstairs bookmakers who offer free streaming for UK and Irish races. Good to see you guys. Um, how, how's business and pleasure, lads? Oh, don't get me started. I mean, I'm still, I shouldn't be in shock. I shouldn't be in shock. I should be used to this by now. I should know the pain that comes with supporting the most gutless team in the country. Uh, but it still hurts so much. Nottingham Forest, by the way. What is this uh, latest uh, depth that they've plumbed that you're left you in such a state of despair? We, uh, one game left of the season, Forest have been in the playoffs the whole way through. Never looked like not being in the playoffs. We also almost looked like we we're going to get automatic promotion at one stage. Playing re- relatively good football. And since the resumption, we've just slightly dipped a little bit and we've been scraping through. Anyway, last day of the season gets round. We've got three-point advantage over the, over the first team outside the playoffs. All we have to do, all we have to do is not get thrashed at home. That's all we've got to do. We can draw, we go up, we're in the playoffs. We can get beaten 1-0 and we're still going to stay in the playoffs. We've got a five-goal advantage over Swansea. So it needs to be a five-goal swing. And... <laughs> <laughs> Swansea scored in the 94th minute to win 4-1 and we lost 4-1 at home <laughs> oh god <laughs> that is savage it was a six goal swing and we end up missing out on the playoffs by goal difference on the last day and I'm sat there because my son hasn't been very well and he actually I had to take him to hospital yesterday and last night he was screaming wouldn't go steep so eventually I was like look I'm going to take Jack out in the car and I'm going to take him for a little drive because often that sends him to sleep. So I went on a little drive and got back home and I'm watching it sat outside the car, sat outside in my car on my phone, just watching this whole misery and despair happen all over again. And I'm just like, I don't know why I'm surprised. Like, it's not a surprise anymore. Like, a sense of perspective. We just kind of we're all hoping that Jack is, is is fine today and all is well on the home front with the young lad. Yeah, he's absolutely fine. Um, he is considerably better than his father is this morning. So yeah, George, what's the update at Eve Lodge? How are you, mate? Yeah, very good. Thanks, uh, Tony. Obviously, spoke to Charlie this morning. Got the run through about the football, so been slightly off the ball. But um, that's fairly desperate. Yeah, that's a savage one. It's nice to see that a former guest of ours helped carry his team up into the Premiership again. Charlie Austin, I see um, they, they scrambled through last night, so that was good. Yeah, all good here. We're just tipping away. Haven't had many runners recently. Just uh, got a busy week next week. And um, I think we're all looking forward to, um, to Goodwood. Is Charlie Fellows running this weekend? And how is he? Charlie's good, yeah. No, he's, um, we're pleased with the form he's in. I think the last run was very much a, a line-through job. Uh, they went too quick on fast ground, but um, he came out of the race reasonably well and has certainly bounced back to life in the last couple of weeks. So he, he could run at um, Wolverhampton on Sunday or more likely Windsor on Monday. 
as we've discussed, it's, 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 um, it's probably going to be more his department when handicapping. But, um, you know, he, he'll get that third run under his belt and then be um, assessed. We will come to uh, forthcoming runners from Eve Lodge and Bedford House in section three. Um, for now, it's time to turn our attention to our latest special guest, Mark Johnson. Couple of thoughts for you chaps. Not only is Mark the all-time winning most trainer in the UK, but for the last 26 years, he has trained 100 plus winners and on nine of those occasions has passed a 200 victory tally. This is a man who started training in 1986 from a Lincolnshire beach with not much more than a handful of horses. What an incredible story, chaps. Look, it, it, is, it is absolutely remarkable. And, and not only does he routinely break all the records, winners, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, but he also does a huge amount behind the scenes as well. And whenever anyone sticks their head above the parapet and fights a cause for the horseman, you can sure as hell say that Mark Johnson will be right behind them if, he, if it's not him. And he, um, yeah, he's a huge asset uh, to the training ranks. He, what he's achieved is remarkable. I don't, know, I don't know how he does it. I'm fascinated to find out how he does it. And um, it's remarkable. And, uh, watching a Johnson horse, they're so, so, so tough. And nothing, uh, nothing typifies it more than, than at Goodwood, Glorious Goodwood, where his record is unbelievable and his horses just run so well. So, um, yeah, look, it, it's great to have Mark on and... Um, we can pick his brains about what we're doing wrong. So, with Glorious Goodwood upon us, fittingly, Mark Johnston is our special guest. Now, Mark recently appeared on Desert Island Discs with a live audience of 3.1 million. We can't actually promise those sort of figures, Mark, but we are really pleased that you're joining us for our latest episode. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you. Hi, Mark. Lovely, lovely to see you. I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed your Desert Island discs. I was wheeling the, I was wheeling uh, my my baby Jemima along to it, and she she it kept her quiet for half an hour. So it was a win all round. So it looked like something you thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a pity that I couldn't go to London and do it in the studio as most most of their guests do. I had to do it from home. But it was great fun, great fun, all the preparation that you have to put into it. Mark, talking about preparation, we're, we're, we've got a Goodwood theme, um, a Goodwood theme running through the, the, the episode today. And it's obviously a meeting that you, you I'm not sure whether you, know, knowing your session, whether you actually target the meeting or it comes at a particularly right time of year for your horses. You've had an enormous success there. And what does the meeting mean to you and, and, and your team? I think we do target the meeting. I think there's, there's, there are only two meetings in the year that we sort of uh, treat like this, uh, Royal Ascot and Goodwood, where we will have a, a spreadsheet of potential horses and we'll be running it for uh, at least a month before. With, with Royal Ascot, it could be two months before. Um, but things are very different this year. Uh, I just can't get the same feel for it. I think Goodwood... Uh, arose unlike Royal Ascot we, we all know that's a sports shop window but it's something that developed for us over a period of time owners love going it's the occasion of going there for the owners uh, and obviously Goodwood a, a, a wonderful site for racing um, and without 
I know there's going to be more owners there now, but without crowds and without the atmosphere, uh, it's going to be quite different. There's not the same uh, enthusiasm from the owners for running their horses there. So you get back into the without dwelling on it too much, you get you get back into the the the, the whole problem of comparing prize money with other opportunities for horses. And although Goodwood prize money relative to some of the other things we're having to face at the moment is still good. It's quite dramatically down on what we've come to expect there. And so we're having to look for alternatives for horses. And at that level, as you will know, that sometimes includes foreign racing and some of the foreign racing is, is far more lucrative at the moment. Do you think you'll have a smaller team than usual then for, for Goodwood? We will undoubtedly have a, a smaller team, yes. You've explained the reasons there why you're potentially not having such a, a large string of horses to take to the downs. But if I can just ask you, you've had such success there. Of the 84 winners, have you a favourite memory uh, from the meeting? And, and why traditionally has it been such a special week for you and, and the Johnston family? Um, it just it developed over the years. You know, it probably does date back to the, the double trigger times or even before that. Double Trigger, obviously, you know, he sort of cemented the relationship with Goodwood. Um, you know, he was synonymous with Goodwood for a lot of people. And we got great you know, enthusiasm from the crowd there. You know, I've never been, uh, it's the only time I've ever been involved in a, a situation where people were running from the stands to the winner's enclosure to see the horse come in when, when Trigger won his third Goodwood Cup. And, I've not really experienced an atmosphere like that around one of my horses on a race course anywhere else. So obviously we became you know, very fond of the place. And I think when you have a lot of runners at a track, you you come to almost subconsciously to recognize the, the, what you need to win races there. And that's one of the reasons we've done well. Possibly the other reason is it. In many people's mind, it's a very tricky track. The roller coaster sort of up and downhill, a bit of camber, um, and it puts a lot of people off. You you'll also see I also do very well uh, at Epsom, and I do very well at Hamilton, Beverly, other places where there's there's similar sort of topography. I think it's because we don't make a meal of it. So all the, all the tracks where my horses run appallingly, basically. <laughs> <laughs> one of the amazing things at these tracks is you know i do particularly well with two-year-olds um and you know all due respect i wonder how you, how the rest of you all figure out that your horse is not going to like it before it's ever run on it you know um and there is an awful lot of that particularly amongst owners as well you know the the, the cringe when you say you're going to run their horse first time out to epsom you know well, it's the same for all the others and, and would, would it be fair to say, you know, would you, you just, just pointed out there that, you know, the uh, topography of the track and the undulations and, and the way that you can be a, a hostage to fortune, would it, would it be fair to say the way that your horses like to race, you know, often near the pace, out, out of harm's way um, for the majority of time to say that, you know, it would, it would, suit, it would suit your running style Goodwood as well. You know, you often come away slightly frustrated. One comes away slightly frustrated by, um, you know, by the way a race pans out. First of all, I don't think my horses like to race a certain way in comparison to other people's horses. Um, I'm not sure that any horse uh, as a, a, a certain... Well, I suppose they do. You, know, you get the horses, the, the hard pullers, and you get the lazy ones and so on. But I don't think my horses as a group 
have particular likes that other horse, other people's horses don't have. Um, but so it comes back to that, you know, and and again, as you've probably heard me say many many times, however many thousands or tens of thousands of runners I've had, I've never told a jockey that he was expected to be up with the pace. I've never told a jockey where he should be relative to the other runners. Um, so it's not me that, that or my horses that are particularly suited to a track like Goodwood. It's, it's all you other guys who are giving your jockeys specific instructions and you're complicating them further or be, or be more specific about them because of the particular topography at Goodwood. So people are telling their jockeys to do certain things because there's a bend and there's a downhill and there's an uphill and so on. And so you're, you're you, I, I'm only guessing, but I'm guessing that there's more tactics employed at Goodwood than there would be at Newbury, for example. In my scheme of things, there's no tactics employed at either track. You know, I have a, I'm a huge believer that, that, that tactics only get you beat. They never win you a race. I'd like to ask, if I may, and just dig a little deeper into the Johnston Racing Organisation. It, it, it's unique in so many ways, n- not least in the way that it has always successfully marketed itself. Um, you have the Clarion magazine, you have the motto, always trying. Your stable staff all wear the very striking tartan waistcoat at, at, waistcoat at the races. Whose idea was it to build a brand, if you want to use that phrase? And and was it something that you wanted to do to mark yourself as different from other entities, other organisations, stamp yourself? You know, I think when we started, any anybody that was trying to build a brand was sort of laughed at in, in, in racing a little bit. Although some people like Jack Berry, he sort of built a brand. His horses would always wear a sheepskin noseband. They were always plaited at the races and he always wore a red shirt. And... Um, so there were some other people that were doing it to some extent. Um, for us, it was probably initially instigated by Rory MacDonald, of the, the late Rory MacDonald, who was the chief executive of the British Racing School. And we brought Rory in to do a staff training program for us. And he, it was him at the time who said we needed a, a, a strap line or a motto and... Um, they wanted, you know, I think it's probably around the time British Airways were painting all the tails of their aeroplanes, and I told them how how silly branding could be, but you know, they were keen that I should I should do some of these things, and they always trying uh, motto. That was sort of an inspired thing that happened to me at Hamilton races with a punter leaning over the rail and saying to me, "Is it trying?" and me sort of angrily saying to him, "Ours are always trying." And then it just sort of hit me that this was a tremendous motto. A lot of people were annoyed by it at the time. A lot of other trainers were saying, are you suggesting ours are not always trying? And yeah, there, there was, I knew that would ruffle some feathers and that that would, um, you know, get a bit more attention to the, the thing. Um, and so there was that sort of inference behind it. But the important thing for us was it was part of a staff training program and it was to tell the people that, you know, we're always trying right down to the guy who's sweeping the yard and we, we say to them, in a, uh, and we've got a staff handbook that goes out to them, and we say to them, you know, you've got to be always trying to do your best for yourself and for the business. And so it was a wonderful uh, motto to sort of fall upon. 
and we're very lucky we've got it and we're not going to let it go. As far as other things, the I had a sort of I've had a bit of a cool relationship over the last twenty years with um, the, with some of the media, and I felt I can't remember when it was. It's probably it might be as long ago as now. I can't remember when it was that I, I felt you know things were going a bit cool. I was never getting interviewed. Um, that we we weren't seeing as much coverage of our yard as we were of some others. And we decided to have a little bit of a marketing campaign and basically tell the world we're not dead. And that's where the the, the, the rebranding and the tartan waistcoats came from. And again, something that was was laughed about a little bit at the time when we first introduced it. Uh, some of the staff didn't want to wear them and things. And um, again, it's been a, an inspired decision um been tremendous it doubled the number of best turned outs we won despite the fact the horses weren't any different i my my, um, my colors are, are red with a white bobble i wanted to have written on the back of our horse box charlie fellows racing where it's christmas every day of the year but my lads won't let me know <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds good to me <laughs> uh, mark we we um you know, we're very much looking forward to, um, to to the week ahead, and I just wondered whether you might uh, flag up a couple of horses that you're 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 looking forward to running. Maybe um, some some we're just about to get into the nurseries. Have you got? Have you uh, have you made some entries, and will you be making some entries for those particular races? I know you've done particularly well in them. Yeah, obviously, the the handicap ratings for the two year olds only came out less than a week ago, um, and the first nursery just a few days ago. Um, so suddenly we're getting horses that we were targeting and thinking about maidens and novices and maybe even the odd one where we might have been thinking about a pattern race and we're suddenly saying, oh, no, this horse is better off in a nursery. So we will have runners but uh, in the nurseries and we will be trying very hard to make sure we run the right one. But I'd struggle to tell you which two-year-old's going where at the moment. So it's not, as I say, not quite like other years where I've, um, I, I've had much more of a picture of what's going where. And I suppose at the moment, the one that immediately jumps and sticks in my head is you know, that we'll, we'll run NAF Road in the, in the Goodwood Cup. Um, and yet, I think, you know, it's not a race I can say, well, that's my banker for the meeting or anything because we'll be up against Stradivarius and, and, and what hope have we got of getting any closer than we got last time? Can I ask, Mark, you said something that um, interested me. You said sort of around 20 years ago, you you set up this brand to uh, send out a message that, hey, we are actually here. We, 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 we're not dead. And it made me think about something you also said in Desert Island Discs and um, when you had the, uh, the secretary to the licensing committee say to you, just because you're a vet doesn't mean you can train a racehorse. Uh, and I'm wondering, back then, did you feel an outsider? And is there, despite the huge success of the ensuing 34 years, is there still a part of you that, that fights and kicks and feels like a, an outsider to this day? I was an outsider then. There's no getting away from it whatsoever. Most people watching this will know, and certainly you guys will all know, um, we are all registered with the as trainers, with the, the BHA, 
and the BHB and Jockey Club before that and so are all the staff and everybody. And I might be the only trainer that has never held a position in racing, never held a, had a job in racing, a full-time job in racing, um, never been registered with the Jockey Club before it was as a trainer. So I was undoubtedly an outsider. As far as fighting and kicking, I think you all know that I still fight and kick now, you know, over the slightest little issue. But I can't, I can't say, no, I don't, I don't feel, I think it would be unfair to say that I'm treated as an outsider now. I don't think I am. And, and the, the, the Johnston organisation is such a, a, a big one, Johnston Racing. And was it, I think, 280 horses in training and maybe 125 plus staff. And yet, with Deirdre and Charlie so centrally involved, uh, Johnston Racing retains that kind of family business feel. And those characteristics came across when your other son, uh, son Angus, sang with his mum during lockdown. Does it kind of feel better when you win together because you are such a tight-knit family? And are we right that it does feel like a family business despite its size? Well, it is a family business, no doubt about it. It was called Mark Johnston Racing. So that was another sort of marketing ploy, changed the name to Johnston Racing. But you know, that was partly due to Charlie coming into the business, but also recognition of the fact that Deirdre's played a big part all along. And it was quite simply unfair that it should be called Mark Johnston. We had a partner in, our, in the business for the first 12 years, but now the only directors are myself and Deirdre. So it is a family business. As you say, yeah, maybe it does. At times it feels better when you're winning. George and Charlie will know that it's, it's difficult when you're getting beat and it's it's very good if the, the whole family sort of feels it together and, and shares the ups and downs. Is it going to become uh, Mark and Charlie Johnson on the race cards? Is that a possibility? Yeah, well, I don't know if you know, but yeah, the Char- Charlie um, has he's only attended one of the three modules that he would need to attend to get a licence. And for one of the ones that he hasn't attended, he needs NVQ level three, and he hasn't got that yet. So Charlie, Charlie couldn't get a license if even if he wanted to at the moment, which is a little bit of a stumbling block. Um, but yeah, I think when he has jumped through those BHA hoops, then he's doing a huge amount of the work at the moment. You know. Um, Part of the reason why without him, I can't say to you, this is going here or that's going there, because he very much plays a big part in, in now, and he, he plans all the fast work, and he he plays a big part in, in entries and placing. So he's doing a huge amount of it, particularly over the last two years. And uh, again, I'm a great believer in if you're, if you're doing the work, you've got to get the recognition. So... If he did jump through the BHA hoops, then I would be quite keen to have his name on the license as well. To me, it appears that it's a 24-7 business. And I know from the trainers that I've come across that they work incredibly hard around the clock. But I, I'm wondering, do you ever find the time to sit back? I don't know. Charlie watch you, Charlie and George watch the cricket and talk about golf and football. Do you ever sit back, read a book, just flick on the telly and switch off from being a racehorse trainer? Or, just, or is it all encompassing? Since Charlie got involved, we've had more opportunity to to do that. So I, you know, I have to say I've had I've had more time off in the last two years than probably I had in the previous ten. Yeah, but I don't I don't switch off 
that much. You'll sort of read a book and watch the telly. No, that's that would be taking it a little bit too far. I hardly ever watch the telly. I'm into cycling. Try and go cycling. And um, thanks to COVID nineteen and lockdown, I've done more cycling this year than I've than ever before. So it's something when Charlie's name is on the license, I might do even more of. You've achieved so much. What what targets actually remain for you, and what motivates you? I know you've said that fear of failure has kind of been a you know kickstarted you or kept you going at times through your career. Um, what 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 are the big targets that, that that are still out there for you? You're absolutely right. You know the fear of failure has been a, a sort of driving force for me. When we broke the record for the number of winners, you know it makes you reflect on it all, and and uh, I realised then, and I, I don't think you know any trainer who says winning doesn't matter is just kidding themselves. You know, we all want winners. And it's you 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 said about the you know, what does it feel like winning together and losing together? Um it's amazing the difference of atmosphere around the place and around the house when you're winning races and, and how down in the dumps everybody gets when you're not winning races. So so first and foremost it's important to keep winning. Um, we have our targets every year of how many we're going to win, and that's really important. I used to say, you know, you know what I'm like about sort of the finances of racing and and pushing the um, the, the prize money agenda. And I used to say that the Derby didn't matter to me anymore, and that I would much rather win the Dubai World Cup, which is far, you know, worth five times as much, or the the pre the triumph, which is worth so much more. I think um, coming second last year with DXB uh, made me just realise how much I wanted to come first. And so I think winning the derby, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that before I retire. On the other hand, you know, if it's Mark and Charlie Johnston that win the derby instead of Mark Johnston, or it's Charlie Johnston that wins the derby instead of Mark and Charlie Johnston, that would be fine as well. I don't mind. Last question, as it always is on Desert Island Discs. Um, you're saying you're taking the Count of Monte Cristo and also uh, perhaps a Fleetwood Mac track to the Desert Island. What DVD of a race from your career would you take? The one probably I've watched more than anything else is Mr. Bailey's Winning the Guineas, which was probably the biggest sort of leap forward. But particularly, you're asking me today with Goodwood round the corner, I probably have to think about Goodwood. I think, for actually, if you're talking about just watching the footage of the race, it has to be that Goodwood Cup where Full Brothers came first and second, double trigger and double eclipse, and Peter Sullivan was the commentator, and it's a fantastic commentary as well. Mark, thank you so much. I hope uh, we haven't taken up too much of your time. I know we've all loved it, haven't we, chaps? Mark, thank you so much. We've managed to really upgrade our um, our guests through uh, lockdown, through the through the uh, Zoom. We've had you, Angus Gold, Jack Whitehall. It's been fantastic. And um, I honestly can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on. No, thank you. Thank you. Wasn't it fabulous to have the thoughts and insights from Mark Johnston's career? He's been some trainer, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's just extraordinary, his career, as we touched upon beforehand and throughout that peace with him and it's just it's it I find it so interesting talking to him and because I have spoken to him a few times you always just walk away from the conversation thinking oh I could do this or I could do that I might change this but what's so admirable about him is his kind of desire to sort of 
to sort of break the mold and create something different and how successful he's been in doing that. And um, no, just a thoroughly likable guy as well when you see him at the races. And, you know, we touch on how busy he is, but uh, always has a moment to chat away. And how simple it is. Like, we overcomplicate it. Why give your jockeys instructions? Just let them go and do it. Like, don't, don't, don't complicate it. They know what they're doing. They've been thousands of races. And yet, I know that tomorrow I've got a runner at Newmarket and I'll be like, you've got to do this and watch her for that. And, you know, if she does that, do that and all that. I mean, it's just, you know, what he has achieved is remarkable. And, and, and a lot of it, I think he would, he would happily agree, would be just out of keeping it simple and just, you know, not overcomplicating it. Okay, on to our final section. George, Charlie, in customary fashion, shall we glance through upcoming meetings and offer a few thoughts on running plans? But before we do, can I just ask you about the King George? One of the races I always look forward to every summer. I absolutely look forward to this race. Are we a little disappointed that it's going to be two powerhouse operations with admittedly top-class horses doing battle? But isn't it a shame that there isn't a few more participants? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it certainly is it certainly is disappointing to see a, a, a race of that prestige um, turn out to be a, sh- a, a small field um, with only two trainers represented. Whether it's uh, as a result of uh, an ongoing an ongoing issue that we have in the industry in terms of breeding uh, these types of horses, or it's a result of a very strange year, the strange year that we found ourselves in. But, um, you know, the Queen is back. All the noises um, from, from the camp are a lot more positive uh, this time round. And in the shape of, um, you know, Japan and Aiden, the, the other runners for, um, for Aiden, you know, she, she'll have a stiff, a stiff task ahead of her, uh, I'm sure. For me, it's, I find it very disappointing. I find it very worrying. Not only is it just two trainers represented in the declarations, but two trainers represented in the entries. No other trainer entered a horse. And that's worrying. The worst thing I think that could happen to racing is, and what people are very worried might happen further down the line uh, as a result of the, of the crisis we're in at the moment, is that the bigger yards get bigger and the smaller yards get smaller and that the bigger yards are going to dominate these bigger races. And, I, and I'm sure this is a perfect storm of a load of little things that have all come together and it's made a freak thing one year. But I mean, I, I personally was worried that this might be the state of racing in say 20 years time when you have a John Gosden or a Roger Varian who literally just have the cream of the crop uh, and 300 horses and, and a dominating flat racing. And that's not healthy. That is not something anyone wants. It doesn't generate interest. I do agree with, completely with George. I think, I think this year has been a freak year and something like this was waiting to happen. Obviously, it's fantastic we get to see Enable again, but it's a four-runner race, three Aiden versus Enable. Like, it's, it's not a King George as we know it. Even though Enable turns up, I think a lot of people will say, well, she's only got three runners to run against. Hopefully it doesn't become the norm. I'd hoped that Ed Walker would have his horse ready to go again and take these on. I mean, perhaps there, there might be reasons and other targets, but I was half hoping that one or two English contenders, pile drivers, had quite a busy start to his season. But it would have been nice to see some three-year-olds, wouldn't it? Maybe it's a, a, a suggestion that the trainers who ran three-year-olds in the Derby, 
don't think that they're quite up to it, up to taking on a neighbour, mate. You know, it was, a, it was a funny result, wasn't it? OK, Charlie, George, thanks for that. Um, let's look ahead to Goodwood. I know you've both got um, a few to run, as certainly you have, George. Um, were you hoping to take some horses to the glorious meeting next week? Yeah, that's very much the plan, Tony. Um, you know, good, Goodwood's, a, Goodwood's a meeting that always seems to kind of come at a good time of year for my horses. Um, we had a lot of horses, well, we had a handful of horses run very well last year and we had a winner the year before, so it just seems to fit well for us. Uh, we, we've got a lovely grey horse called Sarvan who broke his maiden quite impressively at Pontefract a couple of weeks ago. So he'll, he'll certainly get entries in the three-year-old handicaps. And in a similar in a similar vein, and I see the stars for got or Claire the Loon, who uh, was just beaten by an improving horse of uh, William Haggis's, and she too has got an entry in the Phillies handicap. And with that, there are a couple of two-year-olds to run. Um, nice Phillies. What did they rate Sarvan? Ninety-two. <laughs> yeah, he got a good thumping for it. <laughs> He beat the stout horse who was obviously rated in the high 80s by a length and a half and then it was 11 lengths back to the third. So he, the handicapper took it very literally, unfortunately. He deserves it. I mean, it was very impressive. He's a lovely, lovely, lovely horse. But at 90, yeah, 92, that's... Wow, handicapper hasn't missed there, has he? No, he hasn't. Off three starts as well. But, you know, it gives us an opportunity to run him in the races that we think he deserves a spot in. You know, you're not going to get balloted out. You're, getting, you're going to run off. And again, you're going to run off a nice, sensible um, weight. So I'm not too disappointed by that. Um, I do think he's got scope to improve. As I explained to the owner, you know, he's not from now on in, it's going to, life's going to come a lot harder for him. And, he, you know, he's not going to be sort of winning every race moving forward. But I do think he... He's all sort of strengthened up and continue to improve through the rest of this year and very much be a horse for next year. So looking forward to him. And then we've got two two-year-old fillies that we might run. James Garfield's sister made a pleasing enough debut at Newmarket and was due to um, make her second start or step her up to seven furlongs. And then a Lope de Vega filly as well who could, could line up over six. Um, so And actually a couple in the Apprentice Handicap on the Saturday we have a horse here for a couple of runs called Exec Chef, who was bought from the horses in training cell. And he's settled in very quickly. And he, he, he's a few pounds below his winning mark. The nine furlongs there at Goodwood in that apprentice race um, would suit him well. So he could be an interesting recruit. You bought him out of Jim Boyle's yard? I didn't buy him. He was, um, yeah, he was, well, he was bought by an owner of mine who, who plans to run him in um, abroad through the winter but was keen to just give him a couple of runs here before he goes on that mission. He was on my shortlist. Jim bought him at the horse in training cell and Exec Chef was on our shortlist and for some reason I ended up buying something else that turned out to be an absolute disaster and we let Exec, Exec Chef go who went and won three or four races for Jim and was, was a real star for him. So that was particularly enjoyable watching him. Well done. <laughs> exactly. Much to run, Charlie. You got much coming up at Goodwood or elsewhere, Charlie, next week? We've got, a bit, we've got bits and bobs over the weekend. I'm, go I'm going to be really quiet at Goodwood, I think. I might run the two-year-old uh, first profit. He could go to the sixth furlong nursery uh at goodwood but that's probably going to be it um i was thinking of the stewards cup chief of chiefs but he wouldn't he, that track wouldn't suit him uh and he'd want it really soft if he was going to run there would it not suit him that type of track because like you know bury him away on the rail and keep him interested or do you think like 
you know, it, it, it would just be a bit tight on fast ground for him. If it was fast ground, it would be too sharp. He, he would, it would just, he wouldn't be able to get into it. If it was soft ground, it'd be very different. But I just think um, quick ground at Goodwood, always go, he's got to be held up. I just wouldn't see him. We've got the international on Saturday. So he's going to go there instead at Ascot, which he'll love. I'll keep an eye on the Lily Langtree. Um, but I'd say it'll come too soon um, for dubious affair, and we might wait and do tackle State's company further down the line if she's up to it. She's been a tremendous um, uh, addition to your to your team this year, Charlie. You've done a great job with her, uh, Charlie. I was uh, I, I, I love that filly, and I, I, I backed her on. The, I had a small bet on her at, New, at Newbury, so I said I'd buy Charlie lunch, but she which he uh, has managed to rope Richard Spencer in too. So there's been a WhatsApp group set up saying George's lunch. So they're trying to get him to London. Who, why do you owe Spencer? <laughs> I know why you are. You owe Spencer lunch because you did what we did. All those times in the spring cup, you had a bet with him that you'd, be, you'd finish ahead of him in the uh, super sprint. Didn't you finish like 20th and 21st or something? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it was 16, 17. <laughs> there were 30 runners to be fair. Um, and the Sussex Stakes next week, of course. Charlie, what, what do you think about that race? You, is, looking forward to that one? As crap as the, uh, as the King George's this weekend, the Sussex Stakes looks like it's, it is as good. And the only sad thing is that we've just seen that um, Earthlight is not, has not been entered, which is a real shame because that would have added even more spice. Sounds like they're going to the more Easter geese with Earthlight. They're going to stick to sprinting. Um, but the, just a quick flick through the Sussex States. What a race. Arizona, Circus Maximus, Kamiko, Lancaster House, Moatha, Son Donato, Siskin, Vatican City, Wichita. What a race. Um, anyone, has anyone got any suggestions? I know who I fancy. Oh, well, I was so keen on Moatha at Ascot, and then obviously he, he was denied a clear run, and I think he'll absolutely wing round there. And also, I'm a big fan of Siskin. I just think, he, especially if the ground's fast, I think he'll be so well suited to that track. Such an athletic course. So th- those would be my two. Kimiko is obviously hugely respected. I just wonder whether the track will suit him as well as it might with a couple of the others. But um, Charlie, you've obviously got a strong opinion on the race. Where are you going? No, well, look, I just, I just think it is a brilliant, brilliant race. I actually, I disagree with you. I think Kamiko will love the track. He, he handled Newmarket brilliantly and Newmarket's all undulations. Um, I don't think he'll have a problem with the track. I, I, I would, like you, I would so love to see Mo Atha go and win it. I think it would be... You forget how many good horses Marcus Dragoning trained back in the day. And I know it's been quite well documented that he's had a quietish time over the last five or so years. But there is no doubt what a seriously good trainer he is. And in Moatha, it looks like he's finally got his hands on a proper, proper horse again. And I would love to see him go and win. Siskin... Bally Doyle did everything they possibly could to stop that horse winning the uh, Irish Guineas, and they couldn't do it. He showed an unbelievable turn of foot. He's clearly very, very talented. I try and split those three. I, I can't, personally. I, I think it's a, it's a belt of the race. I would love to see Moatha win it, um, but I think it's a cracker. And, and this is what we go racing for. This is what, this is what we follow it for. 
and it's great to see um to see three um three serious horses and and a whole load of others as well like don't write off a few of the others arizona etc but um what a race fantastic well summed up excellent okay lads it was a good to catch up with you and even better to chat with mark johnson that was brilliant suffice to say good luck to all eve lodge and bedford house upcoming runners um quick mention here of fitstairs our partner they have an offer to off the bridle listeners double your winnings on your first bet with fitstairs up to a 50 pound stake we will tweet the link to their uh, website at bridal podcast i will tweet that um, and we will be back in a few weeks thanks to carl homer from cambridge tv for sound and production and many thanks to you all for listening don't forget to follow us on twitter at bridal podcast and also please do subscribe so that you won't miss an episode goodbye everyone <laughs>